So, so there it is. All right, so we're going to do a Q&A show. Uh, but first, uh, we, we'll, do, we'll just discuss what happened this week. First of all, the first and second parts of Normanor Ewing kicked our butts this week. I still have about six more critiques I have to do, but um, the, scores, the scores were low this week in the old, uh, in the old weekly mission. Which is, uh, you know, that's bound to happen. But why is that? Well, you know, Norman R. Ewing it looks easy, right? But it's actually really difficult because, and the reason why I'm pretty convinced is because it has a lot of embellishments per capita. So there's a lot of embellishments in there, and it's of a wide variety of different types, right? So, for example, the second part... Right, so there's all these embellishments kind of rocking and rolling. And um, so the embellishment quality was pretty sloppy across the board this week. Uh, and then all of the bad habits that typically surround embellishments reared their ugly heads, like rushing to the beat, big grace notes, not playing things accurately by the steps, surging in the blowing, uh, or just forgetting generally to blow your pipes whatsoever during uh, difficult passages, right? Um, you know, so all of that stuff, it was pretty rampant. You know, even players that usually are in the high 70s like Roberta, I think she was maybe in the high 60s this week. Uh, would have been, she would have been better, but she played way too fast, right, Bert? Maybe not way too fast, slightly too fast. A lot of people went too fast with it because they're like, oh, I know this one. I think there's a little bit of that going on, which is also why we, we look at new material each week is because the material that we know is usually rife with bad habits. So, uh, but Norman R. Ewing is one of those ones where a lot of us may have dabbled with this uh, to varying degrees in the past. So, Well, and then just more simply, D-throws are hard. They're hard, man. And there's so many of yeah. them. There's so many chances yeah. to screw one up. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, w I wasn't penalizing people for occasionally not, not playing it right. You know, it's just when it's fundamentally not there, you know, um, then, right. then it's not. The problem with the D throw is the same. Uh, people think it's easy because it's the first embellishment that they learned, which is catastrophic. Mm. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the most bad things about the way bagpipes are taught. And there's a lot of bad things. Okay, but that's one of them. But people think they're easy. Oh, it's just a D throw. But it's one of the hardest movements, if not the, if not the hardest common movement, right? Um, it's very difficult to execute that. And people are still not taking it seriously, right? They're getting, they're getting to re the recording moment and they are just jamming in a random ass uh, spasm of fingers. Instead of playing low G, D grace note to C, playing d it's funny that's I, what we mean i talked about this 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 week like don't play a, d, a single d throw in it play this play the steps like don't think of it when you see that don't think of it as getting to a d throw no think of it as getting to a low g on the beat a d grace note to c and then a d right if we if we change our vision of it instead of just sort of like the rubber stamp oh d throw no Let's think of it as literally the components each and every time we get to it. The results are usually much better. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, sometimes we Absolutely. sort of fall into that trap. You, you were going to play some steps for us? I was? Nah. I don't know. You picked up your chanter. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not an easy tune. Third and, part, third and fourth parts aren't going to be necessarily easier. <laughs> We get a we get a a D to B, a, yeah, sorry, a D to low A grip. We're, oh, uh, this week coming up. Yeah, it's next week. Right, we you could always replace that, right? You don't have to play that. And I would highly recommend that for folks who. Don't want to put in the time to get that road in correct, right? Yeah. 
So anyway, uh, I would way rather hear the uh, variation I just did than a bad road in any day yeah. of the week. All right, we're now moving on to this week's Andrew and Carl teach the internet. We're we're gonna we're gonna throw you a softball. I'm gonna throw you a softball this week. Uh, just grab the chat here. Uh, sorry, I got keep getting private messages from Gideon. So thanks for that. You can't do, I mean, I appreciate it, but you can't do that because it distracts me. All right, so uh, this is a softball this week. One of the big changes that we made in this site compared to the old Dojo U is that all of the courses are now open and, and free form, meaning that you don't have to go through them in order. All right, mm. so take bagpipe composing foundations, for example, right? So it looks like you have to go through this in order. It's advisable to do that. But let's say I just want to skip straight to writing harmonies, which by the way, you won't be able to do without the previous lessons. But uh, let's just, uh, let's say you know it already and you want to skip ahead. You'll notice that these are not blocked off anymore. I can go to anything I want and be able to view the lesson. I can also mark it complete if I want, even if it's out of order, okay? So this is pretty relevant for people um, who were on the old site and maybe they progressed through a course, but it didn't show up quite the right way. You could still go to the lesson and you don't even have to watch it and you could just mark it complete, people. So we get a lot of questions like, oh my goodness, the tutor is a big one because we changed the tutor. So now a lot of people who have finished the tutor, it's not showing that anymore, okay? So if that's the case for you, like you could email us and ask us to fix it, or you could just go through and mark stuff complete. Um, will you have to do the quizzes again? Yep. But if you really know the material, uh, it shouldn't be that hard and it should be a good review. Um, and that, uh, I think it's particularly handy in, in some cases, right? Like some of the SQF courses are a great example. You don't have to go through them in order. Um, you could be like, oh yeah, let's, let's just look at the writing of, that's probably where I need the most work. Let me just skip straight ahead to there. Cool. So, you know, here, here's me talking about that aspect of the, uh, you know, SQF, whatever. So that's a quick uh, just a quick thing to know about the new site, which is pretty handy. You yep. can go, you can go to any part of any course. Um, it's also handy in the fingerwork fundamentals. You no longer have, to, if you want to learn about ALAP ASAP, you don't have to go through the first four chapters. Um, when we talk about fusion, you don't have to go through all the four chapters to like get that. You can skip straight to that lesson. And generally speaking, you should be able to get a lot out of it in that particular instance. So, uh, how great is that? It is cool. I think it's awesome. Definitely exciting. Bert says, uh, easy two for March that kicks your butt is high road to Gerlach. It shouldn't kick your butt. Maybe if you have, I, I mean, uh, maybe if you have trouble with E-doublings, it would kick your butt or something like that. But high road to Gerlach is something most of us should be able to play pretty well. Tony says, it is so great. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> uh, means, that means a lot. That's me right there. All right, shall we get to some questions? Let's do it. We actually have quite a few. Uh, cool. Here, I'm just going to copy it. Uh, I'm going to just pop this into the chat so you guys can read it. Uh, I thought I was. Copy. Maybe my message is too long. Yeah, it doesn't like it. All right, never mind. I'm not going to copy and paste this one. This is uh, this is a question. It says <clears throat> it's kind of long. It seems every chanter I have needs a lot of tape on the high G. By a lot of tape, I mean covering about forty to fifty percent of the hole to get high G in tune when the octave is balanced. Most of the other holes have very little to zero tape on them when the two A's are balanced. 
Does that make sense to everybody? So low A and the high A are sort of playing the same octave, but we still get a ton of tape on high G. I find the situation for high G across the spectrum of well-known and respected channel makers that I have tried, some of which are north of $400 each. Yep. Uh, and less than three years old. Okay, that's good information though. I am loath to carve an expensive chanter, so I keep trying reads. It seems I need to go through a dozen or so reads before I can find one that gets a decent high G without too much tape. All this makes me wonder if it is read quality. This is, he, he's done his research here. All this makes me wonder if it is read quality and consistency or does the chanter design need adjusting for the North American climate? Interesting. Somehow it seems that the only way to fix the high G so it does not need so much tape is to carve the high A. Good. And that is something that just doesn't seem like it should be needed. Are the holes for the high A and high G in the best spot, or should we start using rushes in our channers to flatten the high G? I don't know what rushes means. A rush, like a, a, a little insert, uh, like a sleeve, oh. I think is what that is. Yeah, and, I don't uh, think we want to do that. No. Is it something else? So look, I... Uh, I totally know what you're saying. And yes, my belief is that chanters are not designed, generally speaking, particularly well for the North American market. In this respect, you know, the high G is really different. So the high G responds a lot uh, to the amount of moisture that the reed has in it. Okay, so if the reed is dry, even slightly, the high G tends to be considerably sharper than it would be when it's wet. So the first thing I would recommend, because I don't know um, the person who's asking this question, I don't know what climate you're in, right? But if it's even slightly dry in your climate, this is definitely something that you're going to battle no matter what your chanter maker is with the possible exception of the G1 Platinum. Uh, tends to be a great chanter and tends to work pretty well, especially the standard pitch G1 chanter. Okay, even even that chanter though, uh, and even it, you know, even in a in a situation where the reed is nice and moist and everything's happening, you're still looking at a quarter of the hole covered in tape for high G. So keep that in mind, you know. And that happens even in Scotland. I don't know of any chanters that don't have some tape on high G. And, um, as a general rule, remember, there's always exceptions. There's always that reed you find that works great. Uh, mm. But as a general rule, um, that's going to be true. Uh, but it's all about moisture. So uh, to, the per to Ben, who's asking this question, I would experiment with more moisture. Uh, use a Yori Chisholm Chanter cap. Uh, what do they call that? Bagpipe tone cap. Protector. Uh, tone protector. Use a tone protector for a few weeks and see if that helps, right? Don't play any reeds until they've been in the tone protector for a little while, right? So make sure that the reed has ample moisture in them. If you're trying to blow that reed straight out of the box without having introduced some moisture to it, you can expect the high G to be quite sharp. What we really wanna know is once it's got the right level of moisture in it, uh, how does it sound? Um, that's very, very common, okay? Uh, and then carving out the high A is absolutely something uh, that we've done a ton of in the past. So in the Oren Moore days, uh, all of the chanters that we got needed to be carved out on the high A in order to work well for us. Um, and so, you know, uh, we did that. We didn't wait around to see if that chanter was somehow going to be good or not. We just knew uh, that a little bit of carving on the high A uh, allowed us to balance the chanter quite a bit better. Uh, Right. With that said, with that said, like that's a grade one pipe band scenario. I would, what, what we need to do now is just uh, in, introduce a little bit more moisture into your system and see if that helps. Like especially if you're playing something like a canister bag, if you're in that tragic position to have that inside your bag. I mean, um, that's a little joke. Everybody relax. Uh, but if you're in the position where you have that in your bag, uh, the high G is going to be a really difficult thing to get because it'll be so dry. Um, well, it's not. Okay, good question. And, and you did do your research, so good for you. And meanwhile, there, there was one other suggestion there. You said the G1. I think that's a great suggestion. Um, Bruce Gandy did develop a channel with McCallum that he sells on his site um, that is specifically designed for the North American climate. Um, 
Yeah. And so in theory, it should be better. I have not played one. I don't know that you have either, Andrew. And just remember, North American climate is like, you know, there are 25 different climates inside North well, America. Well, right. You know, it's, it's, so you got to be careful. <laughs> right, exactly. It's, it's designed for the east coast of, you know, North America, but also like Canada, which is significantly cooler. So Right. But yeah, like, you know, take a guy like Florida. <laughs> Bruce Gandy lives, Bruce Gandy lives close to an ocean, I think. Uh, you know, at a really high latitude or longitude. Did I say that right? I don't know. Uh, but he's way up there. He's, he's far north next to an ocean, latitude. right? Scotland is also far north next to an ocean. So those, those climates are actually going to be like, you know, kind of similar. Meanwhile, like uh, Arizona is drastically different than uh, upstate New York is drastically different than Ontario. So like, I think yeah. that's one of the problems. One of the problems is no chanter is designed to work amazingly in 25 different climates. Right? <laughs> yeah. So no chanter is designed to work at your home address. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you just kind of have to play. <laughs> you just kind of have to play the averages. Right. So, yeah. um, so you got to find what works for you. Yeah. Um, all right. Ready for the next question? I'm having a consistent issue with my setup. I'm consistently getting a screaming sharp high G with a slightly flat high A. Hmm. Sounds familiar. I have tried several reads with several channels and always the same issue. I'm also having to sync the read farther than I would like into the chanter to get the high A close, which I'm sure is affecting the high G as well. Yes, you are correct. I have tried extending the parabola. Uh, you, the Rob Matheson shaving the read trick. And you're right. Uh, that's going to help a little bit, but not a lot. So we're talking about the exact same issue here. Um, and for starters, make sure your bagpipe is fully acclimatized and that reed has a nice level of moisture in it first and then kind of see what you get. And hopefully you find it's a little bit closer to the ballpark. And remember, even the very best chanters, in my climate anyway, I've never... I hardly ever see a read that doesn't require at least a quarter to a third of the high G hole covered, but we don't, I, uh, but you're right. We don't want to go more than that because uh, that really is going to kill the timbre and the tone of the note to be covering the hole that much. Okay. Jen says she didn't write that, but it very well could have been you. Yes, exactly. It's a universal issue. Um, start by making sure you, you've uh, introduced enough moisture into that read. Like I'm just picturing some people taking a read out of the box, sticking it in the chanter, blowing it and finding that the high G is sharp, right? Yeah. That's definitely to be expected. So make sure that we're playing it for 10 minutes, letting it sit for 10 minutes, playing it again, you know, rebalancing the chanter at that point, so on and yeah, so right. forth. Having not rebalanced the chanter or changed the tape or something like that before that process. And that's what usually ends up happening. You know, you end up taping that high G right out of the box or, you know, uh, when you take your chanter out because it's screaming sharp, but then we start making other adjustments behind that after it has then flattened off a bit. So we sink the read a little bit and we just end up in this terrible spiral. So yeah. The other way, and uh, here's another thing you, you can do, which I, I do a lot when I'm setting up a band. Uh, what's one way to fix a flat high A that doesn't involve carving? Carl, do you know where I'm going with this? Maybe. I mean, are we, are we talking about the graduated tuning effect? Like sinking the reed a little bit? No, because sinking the reed doesn't like work. Read minute, let's pretend you can't. The high G. Well, let's pretend sinking the reed won't work uh, because the high G is already kind of sharp. What's one way to do it? Somebody says put tape on it. No, you would not want to put tape on a flat high A. I mean. No thumbnail could. tricks. There's no tricks here. There's no tricks. This is very simple. Tell the person to blow in the sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, John Holcomb, John Holcomb, you got it. If you put tape on the bottom hand, all right, that'll make, so you can make the rest of the chanter, in other words, flatter, uh, so that the high A is in the ballpark. That's right. You can absolutely do that. And then that'll, that'll make it so the high G isn't screaming sharp. It's probably still going to need some tape, right? Uh, but that's another way you could address the issue. Um, I rarely play a chanter without you know, uh, I don't know, a tenth of an inch at least of tape on all those bottom hand notes. 
Um, and sometimes that's the reason why, but it's also nice to have flexibility down there. Uh, so if, if a note goes flat on the bottom hand, you already have some tape on it, you could take it off. Uh, Sally, great question. How does the tone protector work? So the tone protector uses cigar humidor technology to keep your reed uh, at the same humidity level during storage. Next person that says thumbnail trick is going to get, it's, gonna, it's making me cranky. Um, this, by the way, is the tone protector. It's, you don't have to take your channer, your reed out of your channer. It's, it's all in there. And you're, but you're, uh, it's a bit annoying the, the, the humidity gauge, the battery dies on it all the time. It's a bit annoying. It's because it's a super inexpensive. Everybody okay over there? Somebody just fell down the stairs, it sounds like. Uh, I think, I think everyone's okay. So if the reed is still in the chanter, it is still exposed to the air via the chanter. It's, it's uh, exposed to the air. It's ex it'll be exposed to the air only through the bottom, but that's kind of recommended because otherwise the reed would get mold on it. So you need a little bit of ventilation. And that, that little um, cigar humidor humidity pack uh, is what kind of keeps it the same. So if it's too dry, it'll take on moisture. If it's too wet, it will expel moisture. It's cool. It's a, it's a great, great device. Uh, as with anything, though, it's not just like a magic pill. I mean, you, you have to make sure your reed uh, doesn't start to fuzz on it, you know, in which case you probably need to leave the reed and the humidor out for a little while to kind of like lose the, you know, lose the excess and kind of balance out. Um, and then in the wintertime in New York, the humidity packs dry out usually within a couple weeks, a month tops. You know, so uh, so you you would have you have to keep replacing those, which is okay. You know, uh, you just you have to kind of check it each day to make sure it hasn't gotten super dry. Why does a tone protector work, but a split stock causes mold? Uh, I don't know if the split stock does cause mold. Um, you mean like that? I think you, you, you just mean a standard chanter cap? Yeah, split stock. Well, the split stock causes mold because it's usually made out of plastic, which doesn't seem to be great for some reason. Uh, and then, yeah, like if, if, you, if you lock a bunch of moisture inside that compartment with your reef, of course it's gonna grow mold on it. And the humidor packs are meant to kind of like keep it steady. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, the, the split stocks, at least the ones that we had when we tried them, um, you know, even if you left the top out, it just seemed like they did not move any air within them. And, and even if like the top was uncorked, they seemed to get quite humid. Um, they just kept the humidity in there. So we did not have good success with the, the plastic split no. stocks uh, for a variety of reasons, including the reed just getting simply wetter right from the beginning from the beginning when we played and so you're starting with a wetter with a wetter reed and you finish with a wetter reed and so you've got more moisture in the system i feel like and it sits in it so you don't take it out of the stock itself when we would normally do that and then put it into a dry chanter cap or something let's do this next question because it's tone protector related yep I have, I have a tone protector with 84% packs, so my read is always at 84%. Good for you, as long as the packs are fresh. Given that the read is stored in a humidity-controlled environment, is it necessary to acclimatize, or could I just fire up and start playing right away? So it's still necessary to acclimatize, um, for sure. Because uh, if you take a read that's 84% all the time and you stick it into a bag that's let's say 5% humidity, what's gonna happen to uh, the reed? <laughs> it's gonna dry out like a raisin. Right, it, it might not dry out like a raisin, uh, especially cause you're cranking, you, you are cranking warm moist air in there at a pretty rapid rate. Uh, but for the first five to 10 minutes, there are definitely still gonna be a lot of changes happening and, and the environment inside the bag is not going to be stable right so you still want to acclimatize um, but you will find when you put it in 
it sounds really good right out of the box uh, and and much much better than if you put a dry read in the bag and wait for everything to happen you know so so it's it's really really great um, it also removes the temptation to retune your chanter right out of the box you yeah know, that's one of the greatest things um, e- even though even though I'm very smart and I and I know lots of things. I, you know, in the old days, I'm still so tempted. And the band, because none of these jerks practice at home, right? So in the band, the jerks that don't practice at home show up and they sound terrible. And you have to wait so long for their pipe to settle back in because they never play. So give them a tone protector and now it's okay for them not to practice at home. I'm not sensing any resentment there. <laughs> Uh, good yeah I love the tone protector but it's a tool it's it's a tool not a fixes everything solution it's a great tool to ease the process of acclimatization but acclimatization and the knowledge thereof is still really important then a day we're acclimatizing not the channer acclimatizing the system right everything getting a consistent and stable level of humidity across the entire system which by the way includes your water trap and things like that just equaling everything out so that it's we start from a baseline that's the same there you go amen so uh, next question uh do you have a complete chart of alternate fingerings somewhere it doesn't seem to exist on the internet that i can find a c natural is easy to play but what about the fingerings for the blair chanter he has these others on his A flat, F natural, G sharp. And what about an E flat? Okay, so the answer here is these alternate fingerings are not really a thing. Okay, they kind of sort of sometimes might point to a note that sounds different on the chanter, but um, it all depends on the read and whether or not it's gonna make a sound. and. And these sounds, these alternate fingering sounds are not tunable. For example, when you play a C natural, which might be fingered something like that, when you play that on a pipe chanter, it's nowhere near what the true tuning of a C natural would be. It only kind of hints at it. All right, same with the G sharp. G sharp sounds horrendous on the pipes. The timbre of it and the tuning of it are not right. Okay, so we shouldn't really be expecting to play these alternate fingerings um, like in a controlled way, the way we would intend for such a note to sound. Um, and so, yeah. Now, as far as whether there's a fingering chart somewhere, I don't, I do not know. But uh, the reason I wanted to address this question is, you know, we should probably stick to just the nine notes that we have and try to na- navigate the scale without crossing noises and don't put too much stock into all these alternate like all these alternate fingerings it's not really a thing the closest one is the f natural it's when you stick up both your middle fingers on the pipe channer it does actually get pretty close to the uh the the true pitch of an f natural so that's kind of cool it's fun. It's fun to mess around with. It could be cool during a party. I get it. But uh, yeah, I don't think we don't really need a fingering chart for those. We don't want to give them too much legitimacy. The Red Hot Chili Peppers use those notes all the time. Uh, they use some of those notes some of the time. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, those uh, most of the pipers that play for the chilies are like extreme master pipers um, and they also do it for a living so they can figure out how to get the right chanter set up uh, to make that sound the right way so i'm not an expert in what their repertoire is but i know a lot of those guys and yeah they use some of those notes some of the time <laughs> yeah uh, sometimes alternate tunings like uh, you can be achieved with tape or um, sleeves it's my new word of the day uh, like i do have a chanter with some inserts in it which is kind of cool and uh sometimes you can get that set up the right way 
anyone, this is one for you, Carl. Anyone with a silver soul on their chanter, have it removed and added to the newly purchased chanter? Maybe even multiple times. Is this a thing? Or are Pipers just buying a new silver soul every time? So the answer uh, is yes, you can do that. And Pipers do do that. Um, but word of advice, don't buy a new chanter and then put the soul on it. Here's why. When you, when you turn a bagpipe chanter, the last thing they do, other than drill the holes, is do the inside bore because that's the most, sorry, that's the first thing they do, rather. They do the bore and then they shape the outside. Um, but they would put that, uh, that sole on a heck of a lot earlier before they've done that bore because it's a very delicate process after that. And what you're asking a pipe maker to do by taking a channel that's already been finished and adding a sole after is to put that back into a lathe to re-zero it to make sure hopefully it still spins perfectly straight and then to shave on the thickest part a lot of material away and and potentially putting a lot of torque on the neck of that channer the thinnest part um, and so most pipe makers will tell you sure we can do that but we can't guarantee your channer meaning it might split right down the center and we're not responsible for it so if you do want to do uh, take your old soul and put it on a new channel, no problem. Contact your pipe maker, your, your favorite pipe maker, and say, hey, I've got a soul. I'd like a new channel. Can I send it to you? And they'll just make a new channel. They'll, they'll take the, the, the raw stock, put the soul on it, and then do all the rest of the finishing, um, or at least leave the space for the soul. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. It's yeah. possible. But Always do leave it in the space right for the soul, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, yeah. uh, let's see. Is there a good quality earplug for musicians, specifically for pipers? You want to answer this one? You want me to? Uh, you can. I just use the foam ones. That's my answer. Yeah. They're easy, and if I lose them, I just put it. I just put in new ones. I, I've been using the RG Hardy pipe band earplugs now for like a year and a half, and I haven't yet managed to lose them. Um, and they're definitely nice. Uh, but um, yeah, there are also very expensive ones that are made specifically molded to your ears for musicians that are great. Uh, but here's the bottom line use any earplug that you will consistently use. That's the most important part so that you protect your hearing. Um, you know, whatever it is, whatever is easiest for you that you always have on hand, that's what you need to use. Um, and we can learn how to tune or you know, it modifies the sound a little bit differently here. We can learn that, that's easy to do. Um, use, use earplugs, period. Like Andrew's got a specific one she likes. Here, here's my rule on not losing them. I have the little pill case that they, they come in, the RG Hardy ones, uh, and I put a long bright red lanyard or a Dojo U lanyard on it so that I can see it visually in my case all the time. If they come out of my ear, they go into that little pill case which stays in my pocket while I'm playing um, or in my sporn. So that it's always there and they come out of my ear, they go into the pill case. And then they go into my case. And I can't lose it because I can, like, see it visually all the time. There you go. Word from the wise. <laughs> How not to lose earplugs. Gideon does not use earplugs. Defeats the purpose of actually hearing all the notes clear and well. Gideon, you are 100% wrong on that. And if you play bagpipes for any length of time, you're going to suffer severe hearing damage. Yeah. Which includes which includes, which will include, scientifically, the ability to hear the intervals of your bagpipes correctly. You are 100% wrong. Yeah. That, Sorry. It, it, it's not even, it's, 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 
<laughs> I had uh, I went to the audiologist when I was 12 years old and already had permanent hearing damage. Yeah, it, it's not funny. It's not. It's not something to joke around with. Like we need to wear earplugs. Period. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only will one bagpipe cause permanent hearing damage, but in a band, obviously, it's way worse. And drums are way worse than pipes. Okay, yeah. uh, Jen, Jen um, messaged me. Uh, I just haven't done it yet. Uh, I'm still working through my critiques, but uh, it'll get done, don't worry. She sent me a private message. Um, okay, so just I'm lovingly telling you, Gideon, you're wrong. Uh, you should try different types of earplugs. You might find some that you like better than others. I really like the sound of the, my pipes with my foam earplugs in. I've learned to love it. I can hear things more clearly with the earplugs in than with them out. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and tinnitus, right? Tinnitus, when you hear a ringing in your ears, that means that you've uh, at least temporarily damaged the, uh, I think, what are they called? Cilia or something like that, the little tiny hairs in your ears. I think so, That's yeah. what tinnitus is. Tinnitus is... Um, a sign of hearing damage. Now, whether or not the hairs can um, repair themselves is a matter of like uh, the amount and degree of exposure uh, to the damaging sound levels, right? Which is cumulative as well, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, tinnitus like anything. Yeah. is not fun because if you do end up getting it on a long-term basis, I mean, you have a constant ringing in your ears and Last time I checked, there's absolutely diddly squat anyone can yep. do for you. You will have ringing in your ears for the rest of your days. Unpleasant. Yeah, it, until they perfect like stem cell regrowth of mm -hmm. those uh, ear hairs, you're, yeah. you're done. You don't get those back. So, uh, and it drove Beethoven, uh, Beethoven nuts, absolutely. Uh, I get asked most weeks by patients. Yeah, and must be horrible. Amen. No cure for tinnitus, people. No cure for tinnitus. All right, let's move on. Uh, this one is, we got two more, we, uh, I think. Or no, maybe three more. Uh, doing transition to bagpipe course and currently on drone read section. Not sure if you talk about ear protection in this course. Oh, it's the same question. But I'd like to ask about earplugs. You have no hearing on your right ear and 50% on the left. Andy Fusco noticed that I was twisting my neck to the right. You thought it might be the blowpipe is too long. In fact, is that the hearing aid is too close to the drone and very uncomfortable. Ooh, uh, this is out of my this is out of my comfort zone. I don't know anything about hearing aids. Is there a good out? quality ear? Yeah, like you could try taking it out. Obviously, I'm sure you have though. Uh, and then he asks, is there a good quality earplug specifically for pipers? So we we kind of talked about that. Yeah. So, um, and then, okay, now we're at two more questions. Uh, there's, so in some versions of Highland Laddie, the question is, do you have any tips for the quick grip, uh, from the quick B to an E grip, like you see in the second part of Highland Laddie? So um, in some versions of Highland Laddie, it would go something like this in the second part. So uh, first thing you should do is change the setting. I mean, there's no need to play that, right? The, <laughs> the, um, the normal version is way more musical. Way better, come on folks. Um, but, uh, but if you can't change the setting, uh, this is what we would call uh, a fusion moment. Okay, it's where we have a cut note left over from an ALAP ASAP that directly precedes an embellishment, right? All right, so what we need to do is we need to practice. Um, this is a short answer to the short version. The long version is hang around the dojo. It'll, it'll sort itself out. But the short answer is 
we need to add that B into the step of into the steps of the grip, kind of as like a um, kind of like as an and or something that or like an anacrusis or a pickup note almost into the embellishment. So we now have. Okay, and we need to try to get that rhythm. A decada. We need to try to build that into the tune. You see, there's like it's hard to even sing it in that space. So make sure you can do that. And that's kind of what we need to try to get out of those four steps. There's a lot of stuff in that. It's very hard. You know, you wouldn't play that part even in a, you know, like you wouldn't play a passage like that even in professional solos. There's just too much technique in too small a period of time. Maybe you would, but you got to be a serious technician uh, to be able to pull that off. But that's how you would approach it as a, as a fusion moment. And make sure you can sing it and sing the steps of that compound movement Make sure you can sing the steps rhythmically before you uh, attempt to implement it in the finger work. All right, final question. We ready? This is less of a question and more of a, a statement that leads to an important thing. <laughs> things, that, things that happen when you try to record a perfect take of a tune on video. Go. <laughs> something less than perfection <laughs> right so so the what the problem with this is you should never be trying to record a perfect take of a tune on a video okay unless you're recording an album in the studio that's going to be released to the public which She's not talking about that. She, in this case, she's talking about submitting the perfect video for a dojo critique, all right? So the idea of a take, all right, if you're serious about getting better, the whole idea of a take needs to just go away. There are no such thing as takes because we only take one, all right? So instead of trying to record the perfect take, what people should be doing is uh, warming up and preparing themselves to attempt to produce their personal best on their recording. All right. Um, and then Chris, Christopher says, how about if it's for an online competition? In the perfect world, it would still be kind of the same thing. Uh, and that, as a matter of fact, that's one of the really, that's one of the negatives of an online competition is that encourages people to do a bunch of takes. Okay. Yeah. But the, um, the idea is, that using a recorder should help us develop our performance skills and being able to function under pressure. And so what we need to do is, you know, have a nice warm up, press the record button, and then whatever happens is what you submit. And you don't put a whole bunch of pressure on yourself to do it perfectly or do it better than you're capable of doing it. You just focus on doing your personal best. Okay. It's really, really important. And then as far as an online competition goes, I'd probably, most of those you can record ahead of time. Like I know Yuri Chisholm's one that's coming up here. Um, you know, you register by the 20th of this month and then you've got until the 10th of, of, uh, of next month to submit it. I would just do like one performance a day where you get your bags, bagpipes warmed up, mm -hmm. run through the material. One, maybe a second one after that but like limit it there and then come back to it the next day. You're way more likely to get a good result that way anyway. And then just pick your best one, right? You don't have to pick the very last one, but pick your best one out of that um, yeah. as another process. But doing it six this times in a row inevitably just creates bad feelings and generally. Here's the thing about, here's the thing about the online competition. The person who wins that thing, will only have done one, maybe two takes. 
I promise yeah. you. So like, don't be trying to get the perfect take to try to win it. If you have to do 10 takes to try to win a competition, I promise you, you, you ain't going to win. You understand what I'm saying, people? But you could do your personal best. Well, and, but that's the thing. So you, you, tr you do your personal best with one, maybe two takes, and then send that thing in. Uh, and then move on with your bagpiping life, folks. <laughs> if it takes you, if, if you do 10 takes and you have to pick, you're still going to have to pick a less than perfect performance and send it in. But I promise you, you're not going to win. Okay. The people who are going to win are going to get that winning performance in one or two takes because they are playing at that level that's good enough to win at the time of the competition. Right. So, Bert, this is a, an extension of the one take rule where now we're preparing something for our online competition, you know, do one, maybe two takes, pick the best one, maybe, but like it's the, it's the concept here. That's really, really important for people to understand. Yeah. You should treat it um, the same way as a real contest. Um, treat it the same way. And, and believe me when I say, if, if you like, because what happens is people pull their hair out, right? I've tried eight times and I just can't get it right. Okay, fine, right? The second one, the first or second one you did is no different than the eighth one you did, right? Because you're as good as you are and you're not better than you are. And you're not worse than you are either. You're just as good as you are. So <laughs> capture that, capture that and send it in. If you're good enough to win, you'll win. If you're not, you won't. It doesn't matter how many takes you do, really. It really doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, it's like if my Little League team plays the New York Yankees. I don't have to play them 10 times to see if I might win once. Yeah. I don't. And then meanwhile, what we really need to do is go out there, compete, learn lessons, and move on. Right? Competition doesn't define you as a person. Uh, you can't control what the judges think about it. You can't control how good the other competitors are. Uh, you can't control the fact that there are people competing in your grade that don't belong there because it's an online competition that's not governed in any way. Right? So a person who's never competed before, even though they play at an extremely high level, could be in your grade and they're going to win it. There's nothing you can do about it. Christopher says, does it help you improve? Is that the point? And the answer is yes. And for competitive people, it gets us fired up and it motivates us. That's the point of solo competition is, yeah, it helps us um, become uh, more critical of our own playing, helps us learn fundament some fundamentals of performance. Um, it teaches us how to receive and interpret feedback. Um, we make friends in the process. Uh, it fires us up and gets our competitive juices flowing. Uh, it helps keep the piping art form alive. Certainly the competitive art form helps keep it alive, right? Yeah. It makes us into better musicians. It's one avenue to do so. Yes. Yeah. And if you do one take and your submission is embarrassing, that's what you want, right? That one take is a reflection of how good you are right now. And then next time you can say, uh, okay, I got to get more sleep. I got to eat a healthier diet. I need to lower the tempo. I need to simplify this. I need to do this and this and this. And my number one practice focus this week should be this. Okay. And next week you can come back and do a slightly better job than you did the week before. And if you rinse and repeat that for 52 weeks, that's how you're going to make meaningful progress. And by the way, that's how bagpiping is going to remain meaningful in your life. Okay. Because you're treating the whole process uh, with the respect that it needs. And you're not just always trying to cheat the system and figure out some sort of magic pill that makes you good all of a sudden. Lou says doing reps, you get better. No, no. no. You're a great habit. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how many times I try to lift 500 pounds off the floor. 
Uh, it's just not going to happen without putting my body in extreme danger because I'm not strong enough yet, right? So, so it's strategically doing reps when it can benefit you as a player. That's important. Um, and then not doing reps uh, is sometimes beneficial. How many, uh, how are people who are, you know, how are doomsday preppers handling the whole COVID thing? Well, not, not that much differently than the rest of us, right? Because they didn't prepare for this. <laughs> you know? Isn't that ironic? <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying, though? It's like if you just do reps of, of Norman or Ewing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it doesn't make you a better player. As a matter of fact, it could make you worse because you're ingrating habits that aren't good and you're not developing flexibility. Um, you're not developing a full breadth of fundamentals, right? You're not preparing for the next, you know, you're not successfully preparing for the next tune you might want to learn. You're not going to play Norman or Ewing forever. So, so anyway, uh, not to say reps aren't important, but don't overvalue them is what I'm saying. And definitely don't uh, spend... Uh, an entire week doing 10 attempts per night on the recorder, pulling your hair out and literally like, you know, frustrating yourself uh, because you want to be that special player that, you know, uh, comes out of nowhere and wins a competition. If you're going to win, you're going to win. And if you're not, you're not. And if the judge is going to like what you're doing, he's going to like it. And if he's not, he's not. So you got to just go with it. Record yourself playing, send it in. Ephraim says, unless you want the workout. So if you do want the workout, you could do as many reps as you want as a form of practice, but only turn that recorder on one time. So, so important. Super, super important. There you go. All right. I got to run, but uh, thank you, everybody. Good questions this week. Good topics. Looking forward to more Captain Norman next week. Yeah, like uh, people, I hope, I hope people are ready to make those adjustments. Check their egos at the door to, uh, you know, uh, to, to turn things around here next week. That's just life, you know. I have an advantage because I've been playing pipes at a high level for 25 years. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, can, uh, I can say these things. But, you know, if I go to the CrossFit gym, I get my ass kicked and I have to ask myself these questions on a daily basis. Hey everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.